0: Hello, this is Dr. Peng Chen, the editor-in-chief of Heart Rhythm. The December 2022 issue of the journal is a focus issue on devices. The first paper is His bundle pacing versus biventricular pacing following atrioventricular node ablation in patients with atrial fibrillation and reduced ejection fraction, a multicenter randomized crossover study. The alternative AF trial 38 patients completed the two phases and were included in the crossover analysis. A significant improvement in left ventricular ejection fraction was observed with his bundle pacing compared to biventricular pacing. Significant improvements in left ventricular and diastolic diameter, New York Heart Association functional class, and the B-type natriuretic ure- peptide level were observed with both pacing modalities compared with baseline whereas no significant differences were observed between his bundle pacing and biventricular pacing. The authors conclude that his bundle pacing delivers a modest but significant improvement in left ventricular ejection fraction in patients with persistent atrial fibrillation, impaired ventricular function, and the narrow QRS duration post avinal ablation compared with biventricular pacing. The second article, is a need for a subsequent transvenous system in patients implanted with subcutaneous implantable cardioverter defibrillator. A total of 1,509 patients were enrolled. Over 26.5 mi- uh, months, 155 or 10.3% and 144, 9.3% of patients experienced appropriate and inappropriate device therapies respectively. 41 patients or 2.7% required a transvenous device. Body mass index of greater than 30 kg per meter square and chronic kidney disease were associated with the need for a transvenous device. They also con- conclude that a low rate, 2.7% of conversion from SICD to a transvenous de- device was observed at the follow-up with the need for anti-bradycardia pacing, ATP, or CRT being the main reason. Up next is cardiac resynchronization therapy optimization in non-responders and incomplete responders using electrical desynchrony mapping. The authors studied 39 patients with underlying left bundle branch block or interventricular conduction delay, who had an LV ejection fraction of less than or equal to 40 percent after receiving CRT and had a significant electrical desynchrony. The cardiac resynchronization index was defined as the percent change in QRS area under the curve compared to native conduction. Electrical desynchrony maps uh, depicted CRI over a wide range of settings tested. With this approach, CRI increased from 49% to 90.8%. CRT optimization of electrical desynchrony using this novel electrical desynchrony mapping technology significantly improves LV systolic function, LV end diastolic volume, and mechanical desynchrony. This methodology offers a non-invasive practical clinical approach to treating non-responders and incomplete responders to CRT. Coming up is feasibility of leadless left ventricular septal pacing with a WISE CRT system to target the left bundle branch area, a porcine model and multi-center patient experience. Two pigs underwent the electrode implantation on the LV septum with subsequent anatomical and histological examination. Eight patients underwent the implantation of the WISE CRT system with the development of the electrode on the LV septum via an interatrial transseptal approach. Deployment of the electrode on the LV septum was successful in both animals. Histological examination demonstrated the electrode tines close to Purkinje tissue. Weiss CRT implantation with an LV septal electrode was successful in all patients. Biventricular capture was confirmed with a significant reduction in QRS duration. The authors conclude that Lila's LV septal pacing with Weiss CRT system to target left bundle branch appears to be feasible. The next paper is a new criterion to determine left bundle branch capture on the basis of individualized his bundle or right ventricular septal pacing. Patients were enrolled if 12-lead surface ECG shows LBBB pacing, LV septal pacing, temporary his bundle pacing, and right ventricular septal pacing were recorded during the procedure. With the leads placed in the basal mid septal region. A total of 105 consecutive patients were included. Patients with LBB pacing showed significantly shorter LV activation time than did those with LV septal pacing. In patients with normal cardiac conduction, a cutoff value of delta LVAT1 greater than 12.5 milliseconds showed 73. 0.9% 0.9% sensitivity and 93.3% specificity to confirm left bundle branch capture in patients with heart failure. A color value of delta LV 81% greater than 9.8% exhibited great accuracy of LBB capture. The optimal value of delta LV 82%. For differentiating LBBB pacing from LVS uh, septal pacing was 21.2%. The authors conclude that temporary his bundle pacing or RV septal pacing can serve as references to confirm left bundle branch capture in an individualized fashion in patients with or without heart failure. Up next is infection in subcutaneous implantable cardioverter defibrillator patients results from the SICD post-approval study. The SICD post-approval study is a U.S. prospective registry of 1,637 patients. Infection was observed in 55 patients or 3.3% with 69% of infections occurring within 90 days and a vast majority or 92.7% within a year of implantation. Late infections more likely involved device erosion no infections occurred after year two. The authors conclude that the infection rates in the SICD post-approval study were similar to other SICD populations and not associated with systemic bloodborne infections. Late infection that is greater than one year is uncommon and associated with system erosion. A high-risk infection cohort can be identified that may facilitate preventive measures. Up next is strategies and outcomes of patients with severely reduced ejection fraction undergoing transvenous lead extraction, a single center experience. Between January 2008 and January 2022, the authors performed transvenous lead extraction in 245 patients with stage D heart failure severely reduced ejection fraction, and class 1 or 2 indications for extraction. The results show that in patients with severely reduced ejection fraction, clinical success was high at 97.6%, and mortality was low at 5.3%. The authors conclude that lead extraction in patients with severely reduced ejection fraction can be performed safely and effectively. Adopting a new simple steps, including the early initiation of LV support, can overcome myocardial impairment in patients who decompensate. Coming up is optimizing atrial sensing parameters in Lila's pacemakers, atrial ventricular synchrony achievement in real world. Consecutive patients undergoing micro-AV implantation between June 2020 and November 2021 were studied. 31 patients who remained in VDD mode were studied, and all of them required manual reprogramming. AV synchrony significantly increased from 68.7% at 24-hour follow-up to 83.9% at one-month visit. A total of 2,291,953 Holter recorded cardiac cycles were analyzed. Median AV synchrony during 24-hour daily activities was 87.6%. The authors conclude that high rates of AV synchrony can be achieved in real-world patients undergoing leadless pacing. Manual reprogramming of the atrial sensing parameters is essential to optimize mechanically sensed atrial tracking. The next paper is the electrophysiological characteristics and the possible mechanism of bipolar pacing in left-bundle branch pacing. A total of 65 patients who strictly met the criteria for left-bundle branch capture were enrolled. Four distinct morphologies and three different types of transitions during bipolar pacing threshold testing were identified. The authors labeled the four types of morphologies as non-selective bipolar left bundle, non-selective cathodal left bundle, selective cathodal left bundle, and left ventricular septal cathodal. Except left ventricular septal cathodal, the other three types had a short and constant V6 R-wave peak time. The paced QRS complex was the narrowest in non-selective bipolar left bundle rather than in non-selective cathodal left bundle. The authors conclude that with a higher output on bipolar pacing, non-selective bipolar left bundle capture had the shortest V6 R-wave peak time. V1 r wave peak time and P2QRS. Selective cathodal LB capture had the longest V1 r wave peak time and PQRS complex. These original articles are followed by a research letter titled, Maxed Right Bundle Branch Conduction Delay Pattern During Left Bundle Branch Pacing. RBB delay pattern may not be observed in 5.6% of the patients with successful LBB pacing. If RBB delay pattern is not observed despite deep septal placement, it is essential to perform high and low output pacing to unmask RBB delay pattern before considering lead repositioning. The above device-focused articles are followed by regular-issue articles. The first one is titled, Unsupervised Machine Learning Reveals Epicardial Adipose Tissue Subtypes with Distinct Atrial Fibrosis Profiles in Patients with Persistent Atrial Fibrillation: a Prospective Two-Center Cohort Study. The purpose of this study was to identify and characterize epicardial adipose tissue subgroups in the persistent atrial fibrillation cohorts. On the basis of expression of adipocyte markers, patients with persistent atrial fibrillation were categorized into subgroups by using unsupervised clustering analysis. The authors found that the machine learning-based cluster analysis could identify subtypes of patients with persistent atrial fibrillation having distinct atrial fibrosis profiles. Additionally, epicardial adipostitial whitening, that is, increased proportion of white adipocytes, may be involved in the process of atrial fibrosis. A second paper is titled, GJA1 Gene Polymorphism is a Genetic Predictor of recurrence following pulmonary vein isolation in patients with paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. Patients with paroxysmal atrial fibrillation who underwent initial PVI, including 522 patients for screening and 172 patients for replication, were recruited. 21 heart rate associated SNPs identified in genome wide association studies were genotyped. Throughout the follow up, period of uh, 21 uh, plus-minus 12 months, 119 patients with paroxysmal AF, or 22.8%, exhibited AF recurrences in the screening set. The rate of AF recurrence was significantly associated with minor allele C of the gap junction alpha-1 protein, or GJA1, RS1015451 but not with other SNPs. This association was confirmed in the replication set. The authors conclude that GJA1 SNP RS1015451 coding for a gap junction protein connection 43 may be considered a novel genetic marker for AF recurrence after PVI. Up next is the impact of early ventricular tachycardia ablation in patients with an implantable cardioverter defibrillator and updated systemic review and meta-analysis of randomized control trials. Nine randomized controlled trials with 1,106 patients were evaluated. The authors found that early castor ablation was beneficial in reducing VT burden and ICD therapies. However, it did not affect the mortality rate and quality of life. Since most patients in the included studies presented with ischemic cardiomyopathy, further studies on non-ischemic cardiomyopathy should be conducted to validate if early castor ablation has similar outcomes. Up next is detection of inflammation using cardiac position emission tomography for evaluation of ventricular arrhythmias, and institutional experience. Consecutive patients with non-ischemic cardiomyopathy and VTVF who underwent cardiac PET-CT to detect inflammation between 2012 and 2019 were analyzed for baseline demographic characteristics, imaging results, and outcomes. PET CT was performed in 133 patients with evidence of myocardial inflammation detected in 32 or 23.5%. Patients with myocardial inflammation were managed conservatively with medical therapy including immunosuppressive agents. Gadolinium-enhanced cardiac MRI was performed in 96 patients or 72%. However, MRI did not detect 31% of cases with active inflammation that were otherwise detected on PET-CT. The authors conclude that the use of PET-CT significantly improves the detection of underlying myocardial inflammation, contributing to ventricular arrhythmias. Management of these patients with immunosuppressive medical therapy is effective for arrhythmia control and may obviate a need for invasive ablation procedures in some patients. The next paper is titled Significance of Abnormal and Late Ventricular Signals in Ventricular Tachycardia Ablation of Ischemic and Non-Ischemic Cardiomyopathies." A total of 45 patients, including 15 ischemic cardiomyopathy, 15 arrhythmogenic cardiomyopathy, and 15 dilated cardiomyopathy, who had undergone VT, were studied. The authors found that the nature of abnormal signals in different cardiomyopathies reflects underlying pathology. Late potentials, rather than continuous fractionated ventricular signals, seems to be more linked to diastolic components of VT circuits, especially in ischemic cardiomyopathy. Late potentials have greater sensitivity and specificity for VT. However, continuous fractionated ventricular signals may be of more relevance in arrhythmogenic cardiomyopathy. Up next is sympathetic toggled sinus rate acceleration as a mechanism of sustained sinus tachycardia in chronic orthostatic intolerance syndrome. The authors used a patch monitor to record skin sympathetic nerve activity and ECG over 24 hours in 18 patients with chronic orthostatic intolerance, 7 with atrial fibrillation, and 19 asymptomatic normal control, with a total of 19. An additional 17 participants with chronic orthostatic intolerance, but not treated with evabradine, periodostigmine, or beta blockers were also included. They found that SKNA bursts, can toggle on and off sinus rate acceleration episodes in all groups. These episodes were faster and longer in the chronic orthostatic intolerance group than in other groups. They conclude that sustained sinus rate acceleration may be toggled on or off is associated with SKNA bursts in patients with chronic orthostatic intolerance, atrial fibrillation, and normal controls. Patients with orthostatic intolerance had more frequent and longer episodes than did other groups. The next article is Ultrasound-guided injection of botulinum toxin type A blocks cardiac sympathetic ganglion to improve cardiac remodeling in a large animal model of chronic myocardial infarction. Ultrasound-guided percutaneous botulinum toxin type A or BTA or injection into the left static ganglion was performed followed uh, by MI induction via left anterior descending coronary artery occlusion or sham surgery in beagles. After 30 days, electrocardiography, Doppler echocardiography, left static ganglion function, neural activity, and ventricular electrophysiological detection were performed in all experimental dogs. They found that ultrasound-guided percutaneous microinjection of botulinum toxin can block cardiac sympathetic ganglion to improve cardiac remodeling in a large animal model of chronic myocardial infarction. Ultrasound-guided botulinum uh, toxin injection uh, has potential for clinical applications as a novel cardiac sympathetic ganglion blockade strategy for myocardial infarction. The next two articles are experimental papers. The first one is titled "Reduced Sarcoplasmic Reticulum Calcium Pump Activity Is Antiarrhythmic in Ischemic Cardiomyopathy." Myocardial infarction was induced in wild-type and a circa two a heterozygous knockdown or circa plus minus mice compared with wild-type myocardial infarction mice. Circa 2A heterozygous knockdown myocardial infarction mice had a substantially lower mortality after three weeks of MI without a significant change in MI area. Circa plus minus cardiomyocytes from MI mice showed a reduced action potential duration and reduced triggered activity compared with wild-type MI cardiomyocytes. Reduction in arrhythmic risk was accompanied by reduced diastolic sarcoplastic reticulant calcium sparks, uh, reduced sarcoplastic reticulum calcium content, reduced oxidized ryanidine receptor, and increased calsequestrin-2 in circa plus-minus-MI mice. The authors conclude that the circa-2A knockdown was antiarrhythmic after MI without affecting overall systolic performance. The second experimental paper is atrial fibrillation in the presence and absence of heart failure enhances expression of genes involved in cardiomyocyte structure, conduction properties, fibrosis, inflammation, and endothelial dysfunction. RNA sequencing was performed in right and left atrial appendage tissue in 195 patients undergoing open heart surgery from centers participating in the Catch Me Consortium. Analysis were stratified into patients with and without heart failure and adjusted for age 6 atrial size and a combination of clinical characteristics. They also identified 35 genes associated with persistent AF compared to patients without a history of AF, both in the presence or absence of heart failure. These were mostly novel associations, including certain long non-coding RNAs. Genes were involved in regulation of cardiomyocyte structure, conduction properties, fibrosis, inflammation, and endothelial dysfunction. Gene set environment analysis identified mainly inflammatory genes, uh, gene sets to be enriched in AF patients without heart failure, and gene sets involved in cellular respiration in AF patients with heart failure. Interestingly, no consistent transcriptional changes were associated with paroxysmal AF, suggesting that AF-induced changes in gene expression predominate other changes. I hope you enjoyed this podcast for high rhythm. I'm the editor in chief, Dr. Peng Shen Chen.